I know that we have guests here. We have, I think it's 11 people that are going to get baptized this weekend, at least 11 people. And uh, uh, to me, baptism weekends, I would say they're probably uh, the top of my list for weekends when we gather as a church, other than potlucks. But... uh, (laughs) uh, But there's many reasons why I love baptisms. One of them is that I just love watching people get dunked. And I don't mean that in a a humorous way. I mean there's something about baptism where watching someone be baptized, I feel this incredible connection with the past. Like we're, we're, we're getting to watch something that's ancient, an ancient practice that from the first century, as long as the church has existed, people have expressed their belief in Jesus, their commitment to follow him uh, by being publicly baptized. Over the years, millions and millions of people, men, women, young and old, have stepped into oceans, lakes, rivers, ponds, baptismal tanks, feeding troughs, bathtubs, hot tubs, swimming pools. I'm sure you might be able to add some to that list, all uh, to get Baptized, And so today, uh, with great joy, we're going to continue that ancient practice. I love baptisms because we're participating in something not only ancient, but something that is sacred. Uh, uh, baptism along with communion is one of the things that Jesus specifically commanded his followers uh, to do. When a person made a decision to follow Jesus, when they said, I believe in you, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. Jesus didn't turn to them and say, okay, now as a response to your decision, you need to stop cutting your hair and you need to let your hair grow really long. He didn't say that. He didn't say, now you need to wear a cross around your neck. He didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't say, uh, now you need to put a fish sticker on your car. You don't see those as often or as common. But, or he didn't say, now you can only wear Birkenstocks. I mean, he didn't say that. What Jesus said, what Jesus commanded was there was one outward expression as a way of publicly demonstrating that inward decision that you had made, and that outward expression is baptism. I love baptisms because they are so tangible. They're so visual. So much of what we do in the Christian faith is spiritual. It's invisible. I mean, we just sang songs. Like The band wasn't like a warm-up for the show. Right? The band was leading us in worship. We weren't just singing songs about a God who's a million miles away. We were singing songs to him as if he's here right now, and we believe he is. But it's invisible. He's invisible. We can't, we can't see him. There's a lot of faith needed in that, in that whole process. But when it comes to baptism, baptism is so real. Baptism is, is it like a messy, beautiful thing that we get uh, to do. I know for me as a pastor... I think when we do baptize, uh, baptisms, it's, it's one of the times that I feel the most like a pastor. When I get to be, you know, in that tank with somebody and get to say those ancient words, you know, your name here, my Christian brother, my Christian sister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sploosh. I mean, I love, I never get tired of doing baptisms. Uh, I love baptisms because uh, it's a communal thing. We get to today, we get to join in, we get to celebrate uh, other people's celebration of watching their loved ones get baptized. It's kind of like something that I enjoy doing when you go to the airport, you know, at the arrival gate, and you're just sort of standing there watching. I love watching 
little mini reunions going on at the arrival gate. Right? I, I seem to get my allergies kick up when I go to the arrival gate. I have to dab my eyes. But, but I mean, I love watching people come you know, through the gate, and there's tears, and there's laughter, and there's uncomfortable handshakes, and there's, you know, there's hugs, there's kisses. And what I love about it is I don't know the backstory. I don't know what's bringing these people together, but, but I know that I'm, in a strange way, I'm getting to participate in that reunion. And I, I feel the same way about baptism. While I love watching people get baptized, I also love watching mom and dad or you know, grandparents. I love watching them as they watch their loved one, spouses, kids. I mean, we, again, we don't know the full backstory. We don't know what's been going on in this person's life, but we get to join in that celebration, that baptism celebration with the family. Finally, I love baptisms because it reminds me of, of my own baptism. Take a look at this picture. That's, uh, that's me. I was 19 years old. That's 1986 uh, uh, in a very cold stream in Estes Park, Colorado. And, uh, you know, I remember that day as people lined the shore People were, there was, they were worshiping and laughing. There were some people watching a little uncomfortably thinking, what is going on? But when I look at that picture, when I remember my baptism, I just remember that day feeling like my heart was going to explode because I was so in love with Jesus. And I couldn't wait to jump into that ice cold water. I couldn't wait to get out, but I couldn't wait to get in because I wanted everybody to know that I have decided to follow Jesus, that I believe in him, that I'm giving my life to him. When I think of my baptism, those emotions, that memory gets stirred up. And, and one of the practices of the church from the beginning up till now, they've had this phrase that they've used over and over, and, they, and it's a, a way to encourage each other. They say, remember your baptism. And that's something I love about our baptism weekends because when I watch other people go in, I do remember my baptism. And it stirs me up inside in a wonderful way. And my hope this morning is if you've been baptized, my hope is that you will remember your baptism. And it'll be like Jesus hits a refresh button in your life, like uh, in your relationship with him, that something would be renewed in your heart. I also hope this morning that uh, some of you here today will make a decision to get baptized. Uh, you'll jump in with the others that are gonna get baptized. Maybe you uh, gave your life to Jesus a long time ago, but you've never been baptized. Uh, or maybe today is the day that you start a relationship with Jesus. And as we look at the Bible, the, you know, what we see over and over in the New Testament is once people have made a decision, they're baptizing them. And so what's gonna happen today, I, I said earlier on that uh, at least 11 people will be baptized. I said at least on purpose because my hope is when I invite them forward, I am going to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you've not been baptized. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to also get in the tank and, and we're going to we're going to dunk you. Now, you may be getting stirred up already. Maybe your heart's beating a little, a little harder and you're thinking, oh, but how is that going to be possible? I don't have a change of clothes. Well, my friend, we, uh, we, we've thought of everything. We have very fashionable sweats uh, flown in this morning from, uh, from France. Uh, we have sweat tops and bottoms which you can either get changed and wear those into the tank and then walk out with 60 pounds of water uh, or, 
Or you can get baptized and then we'll give those to you. You can get changed into some dry clothes uh, to wear home, but we do, we've got you covered. One last thing I'll say is, uh, uh, in order to be baptized, you need to be at least 10 years old, and that's not a magic age, it's just, it's an age we've decided on where you need to know what you're doing and what you're deciding. And if you are a minor and you, and you, you get stirred up today and you want to say yes to being baptized, I would just ask that you, you talk to your parents first. Um, uh, and if there's, if, there's a, you know, if there's just questions around it, when I do invite people forward, we're going to have a pastor right up here and you can come on up and, and talk to them. But before we get to the baptism, I just have a little bit I want to say uh, about baptism. And I said earlier that baptism is an ancient practice. Long before the church existed, long before Jesus had come on the scene, baptism was being practiced. And uh, in the New Testament, the, the actual word, it's a Greek word used for baptism. It's the word baptizo. And, and it means to dip to, uh, to plunge someone. So I, just to get a picture in your mind, it's not just sprinkling water. It's like totally fully immersing, uh, immersing someone into the water. And in many cultures, uh, there was uh, baptism or, or washing ceremonies was very, very common. And it was almost always connected to the worship of their gods. I mean, really for as long as, as humans have existed, there's been this uh, awareness of a dirtiness there's been this awareness of an unworthiness when it comes, you know, when, when we as human beings come into the presence of, of gods, you know, you look at ancient stories, mythological stories, there's always this huge gap, and the gap is the gods are up there, and, and as human beings, we're sort of the unworthy ones down here, and so it, it would make sense in ancient times, like, how do you come into the presence of your god? Well, I think washing up would probably be a good start to at least come in clean. And as we get into the Old Testament and the Bible where we see the history of the, uh, the Jewish nation and uh, the Jewish faith, in the first book of the Bible, God reveals himself to a guy named Abraham. And from Abraham's descendants come uh, the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And through chunks of the Old Testament, what we see going on is God is teaching his people how to be in a relationship with him. I mean, how do we as human beings who are just, who are far from perfect, who are prone to wander, who are prone to get dirty, if you will, uh, how do we now come into the presence of Almighty God who is holy, who is, who is perfect in every way? And, uh, and what we see in the Bible is that uh, in the Old Testament is we see God giving his people uh, purification uh, rituals, washing rituals to put into practice in this whole thing of, of, of being clean versus unclean. And so you see in the, New, or the Old Testament where if someone is sick or has a, has a wound, before they could go to the temple to worship, they had to get cleaned up. And I don't just mean have a bath. They had to do, it was a ceremonial washing where they had to be fully immersed in the water to get cleaned up before they'd go to the temple. If someone had touched something that was unclean, a dead animal or person or some types of uh, infection, again, they had to be washed. They'd go through a baptism, a purification uh, 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 ceremony. If you'd broken the law of God in certain ways, again, now you're unclean. You need to be made clean before you go into the presence of God. If you, if you were a non-Jew, the Bible would call you a, a, a Gentile. And if you wanted to join the Jewish faith, you had to go through a Jewish conversion ritual. And a big part of that was you'd strip down and they would totally dunk you in the water as a picture of you washing away all of your 
former impurities. And all these different ceremonial washings, baptisms, what we, what we see in the Old Testament, though, in the midst of all these washings, although it may have washed the outside clean, what you start to see as you look at the story of the Bible is that it wasn't cleaning the inside. All these outward washings, they weren't, weren't changing the person. The heart of the person wasn't changing. This, there was this constant uh, stain inside the human heart that wasn't get, being changed. And it was something that we tripped over all the time. It kept us from coming before Almighty God in the presence of a holy God. So outside in washing wasn't uh, cutting it. What we need and what we needed was inside out washing. And you know, as I was working on my talk this week, uh, I got to this part and what came into my mind was the story of Macbeth. Any Shakespeare fans? They're the ones dressed up in one. We have one. Wow. So I'm not a Shakespeare fan and the fact that it came to my mind tells me this must be God because... uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I remember going, I remember that in English class. That was a long semester. But, but the story of Macbeth came to, to my mind, and I won't get into the whole story, but, but what I want to focus in on is Macbeth's wife, Lady Macbeth. And you're, I know you're probably familiar with this part. There's a, a famous section I'll get to in a little bit. But basically, Lady Macbeth was a woman who was racked with guilt. And she was racked with guilt because she had conspired with her husband. She'd encouraged him. I believe it was to kill the king uh, to sort of, or, or the heir to the throne or whatever it was. It was to make room so that it could further his, his you know, hunger for power. And she was part of that and encouraged him. It's a brutal story. And, and in the scene that I'm, I'm talking about, there's Lady Macbeth. Is, you know, basically, there's a monologue going on. And off to the side, there's two people watching her. And it's, it's basically like a maidservant and like a resident doctor. They're watching. Lady Macbeth and the maidservant commented to the doctor how she'd noticed, and I'm paraphrasing, she'd noticed that Lady Macbeth was always doing this. She was always scrubbing her hands as if there was a stain that she just couldn't get off. And she was saying that, you know, uh, to the doctor. And the truth is that, you know, although she didn't get a, commit a crime, Lady Macbeth, as the saying goes, really did have blood. Uh, on her hands, and, and you know, in the, in the story of Lady Macbeth, is she's wringing, trying to wash her hands, and we come to that famous line in this story where she goes, out, dern spot, out, I say. Do you remember that, remember that line from the story, at least vaguely? But the truth is, there was no stain. The truth is, she didn't have any stain on her hand. The stain was in here, wasn't it? It was a stain of, of guilt. And no matter how hard she rubbed her hands, that stain wasn't coming off. And in the story, the maidservant and the doctor, they're looking at her, and they're looking at her with pity. And then the doctor makes this statement. He says this. He says, infected minds to their death pillows will discharge their secrets. More needs she, the divine, than the physician. God God, forgive us all. And basically what the doctor's saying is the stain that she has, only God can wash that stain clean. Only God can heal the wound that Lady Macbeth has. And, you know, I, when I think about that, I think, I know for myself, and, 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 but for you, can you relate to that? Can you relate to a stain, an awareness of a stain inside, of something that you carry, of something that you trip over, 
in your life. Something that it seems like no matter what you do, it doesn't seem to fix that inner stain. It doesn't seem to clean it up. So you could, I mean, there's just so many things. You could could try medicine and exercise and counseling and and you could read books and you could, you know, you could even use essential oils. All these different things, they're all good things, but there's an awareness in the human heart that whatever type of soap we use on our own, it has limited impact at best. What we need, what we need is a much greater soap. Can you, can you relate to that? See, if I could rewrite the story of Macbeth, it would not, it'd be much shorter, it would not be as eloquent, but what I, after the doctor makes the statement, what she needs is not a doctor, she needs the divine, here's what I would have happen. When, when they exit the stage, John the Baptist would walk onto the stage. And if you're not familiar with the story, John the Baptist is this crazy guy that, uh, that God sent uh, like, a, like a, as a, like a, a herald or you know, sent to, to let the world know that something real big was coming. He was sent prior to Jesus, a forerunner to Jesus. And I would have John the Baptist step on the stage and he would quote out of John 1. He would say, he would sort of gesture to the side. He would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all the lights would turn to that side of the stage and Jesus would walk on. And the crowd would go crazy. See, what Jesus has done, he has done something that we as humans could never accomplish. No matter how many times we wash ourselves over and over, trying to but never getting clean enough to come before a holy God. We have tried but failed at Jesus on the cross once for all has provided the ultimate washing for all the stains, all the dirt of the world. And we no longer need to practice all these ceremonial washings now because Jesus accomplished that once and for all. And in the last book of the Bible, one of the followers of Jesus had a vision, another guy named John, and he had this awesome privilege of of literally getting to look into heaven And uh, he looks into heaven and he sees just this mass of humanity gathered gathered around a throne where Jesus is on the throne. And and here's what happens. Uh, This is Revelation 7. Just then, one of the elders addressed me, and me is John. The elder said, who are these dressed in white robes and where did they come from? Taken aback, I said, oh, sir, I have no idea, but you must know. Then he told me, these are those who come from the great tribulation and they've washed their robes, scrubbed them clean in the blood of the lamb. Now, you know, when you look at that, it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How can you wash something clean with blood? Wouldn't the blood add to the stain? Well, here's where Jesus is unlike any other. At Easter time, what is it we celebrate? We celebrate his death on the cross. We celebrate that because of his blood, which is unlike any other blood, it is the perfect blood, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, that his blood, far from adding to the stain, his blood alone was able to wash the stain away. And so we sing and have sung for generations, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Believe me, I've tried others. I've tried lots of other founts, but nothing, there's nothing 
like the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. Outside-in washing will not get the job done. Lady Macbeth, no matter how hard, she would never wash that stain away. On her own, no matter how hard you try, you cannot wash that stain away. Only Jesus, the perfect soap, if you will, the most powerful soap, his blood, only that can make you whiter than the snow. And what I love about what Jesus has accomplished, you know, when I use the illustration of Revelation, which is in the future, what I love about it is it's not just a one day will be washed clean. What I love about it, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Jesus, anyone who says yes to Jesus, it enters into a relationship with Jesus, has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. See, what I love about that verse, it says, yeah, yeah, it's not just going to happen then. It happens right now. The moment you say yes, there is something that changes when you align yourself, when you say, I'm with him, when you say yes to Jesus. And all through the New Testament, I've been reading uh, in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is such a great example of this. If, you get, if you're stuck in your Bible reading, go to the book of Acts. It's like a great novel. Um, but what we see over and over in the book of Acts is people hear the good news that, that Jesus, the comp, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, they hear the good news of the cross and that you can be forgiven and that you can experience new life now and that you can enter into a relationship with Almighty God now. They hear that good news, and you see people hearing it and saying, I want that. And in saying that, they're basically, they're grabbing hold of it, they're believing it, and and what we see over and over in the New Testament is when people say yes to it, immediately they are baptized. They're publicly declaring that in their decision, they now belong to Jesus. And these people that we're gonna baptize today, as they go into the water, you're gonna see they all have a T-shirt on that says, I have decided. And what what have they decided? Well, what they've decided really is that it's all true. That what I've been saying and so much more is all true. That, That on our own, we cannot remove the stain that gets in the way of a relationship with God, but the blood of Jesus, the greatest soap, can wash us clean, frees us to boldly come before God, frees us to be in a daily relationship with him, frees us to know him, to trust him, to love him, not just, not just one day in heaven, but today, now, this side of heaven. And, and they, you know, it's, they've decided that it's all true, and if they were honest, they would say, I don't understand it all, but I want it. And I've decided that it's true. And based on their decision, we are going to uh, baptize them today. You know, here at the Vineyard, we believe that uh, baptism is a step of obedience. Uh, For anyone who's made a decision to follow Jesus, the final marching orders of Jesus to his followers went like this. Matthew 28, Jesus said, hey, well, he didn't say hey, but he said, therefore, Okay, I don't know. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Getting baptized is a command to be obeyed. Uh, If you've said yes to Jesus, the next step is to be baptized. So you may be, you know, now hearing that, you may be thinking, okay, well, wait a minute there, preacher guy. Are you saying that if, if I'm not a Christian, if I haven't been baptized? Well, no, that is not at all what I'm saying. Uh, baptism does not save us. What saves us is that decision to say, I've heard the truth about you, Jesus, and I'm choosing to believe in you. 
I'm putting my trust in you. That's, that's what saves us. Baptism does not save us. You know, I always tell people, hey, getting baptized, it's not like, it's not magic. Right? Like, like, I guarantee you that is not holy water. Like, we got it from Delco. I know, I know, it's, I know it's not holy water. Baptism, what, we're, what you're going to, uh, you know, witness today, it's a symbol. Right? Baptism expresses the interior. It expresses it. It doesn't change it. Right? You could get baptized over and over and over and over and over and over, and that's not going to change who you are. Only Jesus, what I've been saying, only Jesus can get inside you and change you and set you free to be the man, the woman that he's, he's made you uh, to be. But baptism, it's an outward expression. And you know, it's interesting to me that Jesus, uh, in, in, in calling us to be baptized, you never hear Jesus say, okay, so make sure you baptize yourself. Right? What Jesus always says is you need to be baptized. Someone else needs to baptize you. And what that tells me is baptism is meant to be public. Baptism is meant to be witnessed. It's meant to be celebrated for the sake of the person and for our sake, to, like I've been saying earlier on, like to be, to be encouraged. Baptism uh, has been described many, many times. It's like, a, it's like a person's wedding ceremony to Jesus. I, I was reading something earlier this week uh, let me throw this at you. This is a, a, a different perspective. This was new to me. This person was saying that baptism, it's like an engagement ring. Uh, in the book of Revelation, again, the last book of the Bible, it, it points to this future celebration that's coming where the church, and it talks about us as the church, as the bride of Christ. But it points to this uh, massive wedding that's gonna happen one day where the bride of Christ will be married to the groom, to Jesus and so the picture I have in my mind is that this side of heaven, that Jesus, in this rescue mission that he's doing, he is constantly uh, uh, seeking after and pursuing people. And how it works is, you know, Jesus basically makes himself known to another person, and you start to experience him. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness, it's his love, it's his goodness that causes you to stop and turn and follow him. And, and you know, so Jesus reveals himself, and, and then when we respond to his love, when we do turn towards him, when we do say yes to his invitation, like any good groom, he reaches in his pocket and he holds out to you a ring, an engagement ring. And he says, you know, will you marry me one day? Will you make a commitment to me? And what I read in this little booklet was that, that engagement ring, it's, it's baptism. It's in baptism where you, you, you get in that tank and you publicly declare my commitment to Jesus. Does that make sense? Uh, look at this picture. When I was 20, when I was 20 years old, I gave this beautiful lady an engagement ring. Now, you probably can't see me because of the size of the rock but on Helen's ring, but I'm in right in front of her there. But you know what? Uh, I was going through old pictures looking for this, and uh, it was wonderful. And I was thought, hey, I didn't have gray hair at one time in my life. That was kind of cool. But now can you imagine when I, you know, 20 years old, <laughs> unemployed, which is not a good, yeah, boy, oh, boy. That's why, that's why my parents were concerned. Now I get it. But, but when I offered Helen that ring, basically when I said, oh, Helen, Will you marry me? Will you commit yourself to me? Could you imagine if she took that ring and she looked at it and she said, wow, that's beautiful. That is such a beautiful ring. Thank you so much. Could you imagine if she went, 
and put it in your pocket, I'd be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, like, like you, it's not supposed to go in your pocket. You, you're supposed to wear it. You're supposed to put it on your finger. Baptism is a symbol. Baptism is a public symbol where you get up in front of all these people and what you declare is, I'm in a relationship. What you declare is, I'm taken. I have willingly said yes to Jesus. I have willingly given my life to him. That is what baptism is. It is a declaration to everyone that's here today to witness your baptism. It is a declaration that I belong to Jesus. So, I'm going to change gears right here. And here's what I'd like to do. I want us just to stay seated for a bit. And uh, if you're easily distracted, I would encourage you to close your eyes. Because I want to give some time just for us to relax, take a breath. And again, here now we're getting into that invisible faith part again. Because you know what? I believe Jesus is here right now. And he knows you. And he loves you. And he is here. And I believe that there are people here today that he is making himself known to. So let me just pray for us. Lord, I, I thank you that you are here. And I pray, I mean, I pray that you would come do what only you can do. But what I know you love to do, that you would come and make yourself known. Lord, there are people here today that they don't know you. They don't know how wonderful you are. They don't know how great your love is. They don't know that you've, you've taken the punishment so that they could go free. And I pray right now that you would make yourself known. Lord, I pray for those who've said yes to you, but they've never been baptized. I pray that you, know, that you would get down on one knee in front of them and just say, will you, will you make a public commitment to me? Will you put the ring on today? So just come, Lord. Just come in this quiet place. And, you know, if that's you, if you're here today and you're just aware, hey, there's something going on, I would ask you to do, to do two things. And the first one is this. The first thing is, is just to recognize what's going on right now. You know, maybe there's just emotions getting stirred up. Maybe there's, you know, your heart is racing. And, but, or maybe you feel like this tugging inside or this longing inside. Maybe you have this beautiful picture in your mind. And you're like, where did that come from? Or maybe you, you hear a voice in your mind. And, and just, I want you to just take a moment just to recognize what's going on and to recognize that that's Jesus. That's Jesus reaching out to you. So one, I'm asking you to recognize it, and two, if that's you, I'm asking you to respond to him. And what I mean is, as you're sitting there, there's an awareness just just inside, or if you want to whisper, whatever you want to do, just to say, okay, Jesus, I, I don't understand what's going on right now, but I say yes to you. I say yes. I have a lot of questions, but I say yes. So Lord, I I bless what you're doing in the room right now. 
I pray that your invitation would be clear and strong. Why don't we open our eyes?